big dick energy. What is it? Who's got it? How do you get it? Big dick energy is the confidence and self-love someone has when they know they've got the goods. They've got it and they know they've got it. They know they can get the job done. <laughs> Whether it is high achieving in their chosen profession or excelling in competitive sports or giving a woman exactly what she needs to be extremely well fucked, Big dick energy stands up tall. It's something a man can have regardless of the size of his physical cock. I have been with men who have dignified yet average sized cocks, but could fuck me and the world with such potency and vigor that it was like they had the world's most colossal cock. I often talk about how for a man, the epitome of being in control of his masculine energy is being able to fuck his woman to smithereens, to <laughs> obliterate her, crack her open, metaphorically, and to shatter her with cataclysmic, life-changing orgasms and love. He penetrates her heart and vagina with equal a plume. And he does the same to the world at large. He's out there fucking it, penetrating it, shooting his creative jizz and his seed out into it and populating the world with his ideas and power. The cock and a man's big dick energy are the barometer for his potency in life. The question I often ask men is, are you fucking life? Are you bending it over and having your way with it and slamming it into the headboard, pulling its hair and asking, who's your daddy? Are you being your best cock and self? Are you channeling your gifts into your woman and into the world? That is big dick energy. In a time when amongst some people there is a cultural push towards an elimination of gender or sex and the vilification of masculinity as being toxic, I would say that big dick energy is sorely lacking in the world today. Men are being convinced that to truly own their masculine power and strength is scary to those around them and that they ought to minimize these qualities in themselves. At the same time, our environments and our food supply are being flooded with xenoestrogens. Xenoestrogens are estrogen-mimicking compounds that are found in everything from conventionally produced meat to body and household cleaning products. They're everywhere. And they are lowering everything from the sperm counts to the testosterone levels in men. Men, archetypally speaking, masculine energy is the protector. It's the defender of the realm from plunder and danger. Right now, more than ever in this world, this is the energy we need. And where the fuck is it? Is it hiding in its house or its car with a mask on? Is it scared to go outside? Is it waiting for permission to live its life while the world around it gets raped and pillaged? So where did all the testosterone go? Well, it was last seen in Belmar, New Jersey at the Attila's gym. A few months ago, I had heard about a gym that defied the state's lockdown and decided to reopen. 
The owners had looked around at the very, very arbitrary and ever-changing definitions of essential services and felt that small businesses were being unfairly discriminated against. So they did what used to be considered the American thing and they took a stand. They opened their business and they received national media coverage for their battle, which has included along the way jail time, several hundred thousand dollars in fines, and a constant battle of wits with New Jersey's governor. Today, I am chatting with Ian Smith, who is the co-owner of the Attilus Gym. What Ian is doing, in my eyes, is a heroic display of big dick energy. He is doing what hardly anyone in this country or anywhere in the world has the guts to do right now, which is to question some pretty shady edits and mandates being passed and to stand for what he believes to be true. In our conversation, we will talk about his summary of their journey and the battle they've had since the spring and what has happened to modern masculinity and what can men do to step back into their masculine power and own that shit. Welcome, Ian. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited. I am so thrilled to be able to share your story. I really want people to hear far and wide as they are about what you're doing to take a stand for your rights and your freedom in the midst of the last number of months of tyranny that I call it. Um, so why don't you share with us your story that's already had lots and lots of lo local and national media attention. Okay, so I'll make it as brief as possible because there's a lot that happened. Um, on March 16th, just like most of the rest of the country, uh, we were told that there was this massive pandemic coming called COVID-19 and that, um, that we needed to shut down for 14 days uh, to give the government time to flatten the curve. You know, so just like most people, I don't think anybody was really excited about the prospect, especially uh, as a standpoint of small business owners, but you know, I don't, I don't think anybody was really excited to shelter in place for 14 days and, and shut everything down. But, you know, we, we, were, we were looking at something very unexpected and unknown. So, you know, we did what was right. Our country asked us to shut down and they said, um, they said 14 days. So we shut down. Um, very quickly, my partner and I smelled smoke. Um, and this looked like something that was definitely going to be political. Um, and it was right away. The politicians started bickering back and forth. The stimulus bill that they said was going to bail out all Americans fell miserably short for everybody, um, especially small business owners. Uh, not to mention the fact that they they decided to hand out six hundred dollars per week for sixteen weeks. Um, that was a big red flag for us. You know why? Why with a fourteen day shutdown? Are you authorizing $2 trillion to go out into the hands of Americans for 16 weeks? It just, it didn't make sense. So we started really paying attention. We started reading the executive orders. We started watching everything that Murphy was doing, listening to every press conference, researching uh, all of the newest information on COVID. Um, my partner and I do not like to uh, sit idle. So we, we were working all the way through. Uh, from day one of the shutdown, we were still at work. We were, you know, inspecting the gym and kind of thinking about what business was going to look like on the other side of this, because we realized that however this turned out, whether it was 14 days or otherwise, 
being in business was going to be different after this. We were going to have to take different precautions and, and consider different things and operate a little differently. So we, we kept busy. Um, and then very quickly, one week turned into two, two turned into three, three turned into a month. Uh, and a month was very rapidly approaching two when Frank and I decided that we were going to reopen. There had been zero uh, information put out as far as a game plan to reopen most small businesses at that time. And we had had enough, you know, that the bailout money that was there for small businesses was a, was an absolute joke. You had these mega corporations, uh, sports teams, chain restaurants and steakhouses and stuff getting millions of dollars of bailout money and small businesses left with crumbs, maybe. Uh, not to mention that the terms of the loans were a joke. Uh, a lot of people who wound up taking them, um, I, I know from experience, uh, a lot of people who, who took these loans instantly regretted it because it, they, they said, oh, they were gonna be forgivable. And, and it, was, it was a bunch of nonsense. Uh, not to mention that we didn't even qualify for it because at, at the time we had only been in business for eight months. Um, so you needed to have a full calendar year. So, you know, we, we started to put together a very comprehensive safety protocol program that would respect the ideas of public health and, um, and uphold those ideals of keeping the public safe um, while respecting the fact that people need to earn a living and people need to be in business and people need to go to work. Um, and people need to go to the gym. And that, yep, you just, you just took the words right off the tip of my tongue and that people need to be able to live their lives, period whether that be go to the gym, whether that be go and get their hair done, their nails done, whether that be go out and grab drinks with friends and family. These are all things that are essential. Um, and that was, our, that was our tenement from the beginning is that we rejected the idea that some businesses were essential and some were not. And it just so happened that all of the big mega corporations were all essential and all of small business was not. And that didn't make any sense to us whatsoever because the protocol that was put in place from day one for these big corporations was laughable. You know, it was slap a mask on your face um, and stay six feet apart and wipe the front of your cart off with a Lysol wipe. And all of a sudden Walmart is a safe place. Um, you know, it was like, okay, well we can do that as a small business and we can, we can up the ante. We can do way better than that. So we put together a very comprehensive protocol um, and on May 11th, uh, I went to my social media account and I did a little public announcement. Um, and that was kind of what kicked us all off. That public announcement was the who, what, where, and why of what we were doing, why we were reopening, what we were going to do it, or what we were going to do, how we were going to do it, um, and sort of just an explanation as to our reasoning in general. Um, so at the time, I think I had like 20,000 followers on Instagram. So I, I had a small following. Um, and I think it was the right message at the right time because I posted that video and it just sort of exploded with popularity right off the bat, um, far more than any of my other posts had ever done. Because I, th I think the message really resonated with people. We were seven, eight weeks into the, to the shutdown at that point and people were starting to get a little antsy, get a little anxious. They were starting to miss their lives, I think. So and ask uh, questions and ask questions. Yeah. You know, yeah. things just, things were, things were starting to, to seem really fishy with the reasoning behind all this stuff. And, and it just, none of it was making sense. And I think a lot of people were just starting to look around and say, you know what, I, I don't know if this is worth shutting down for. 
Um, you know, and the details were at this time, this was also the time when the information came out that a lot of the death numbers were very greatly skewed and, and you, you know, you name it, that's, that's a story for another day. Um, so the next day, um, Rich Zioli, which is a radio host in the Philadelphia area, he's been around forever, he's got a big following, um, had us on the radio show to talk about what we were doing. Um, he's a big supporter of small business, um, conservative minds, um, kind of right down the middle though. And he had us on for about 15 minutes. Um, and as soon as we hung up the phone, um, the phone started ringing, my email started blowing up. Um, my social media account started getting messages, our Facebook, everything. So it was kind of, uh, we expected and we wanted to get some press and we expected to get some because we knew what we were doing was going to stir up the pot a little bit. Um, but immediately, I mean, the floodgates kind of opened. Uh, and then later that day, uh, a producer from the Tucker Carlson show got in touch with us. Um, and I was actually in the middle of training a client um, because I had never shut down. I mean, I was, screw that. Um, and he said, basically said, you know, hey, um, you know, we want you on the show. Uh, can you be at a studio in two hours in Philadelphia? And I, I just was like, absolutely. And I, I hung up the phone, looked at my client and I said, hey, Tucker Carlson wants me on tonight. I got to go. Like finish this workout yeah. on your yeah. uh, and that was and I, I've been a Tucker Carlson fan for years now. I mean I think he's one of the one of the best um journalists, reporters, you know, news media personalities that there is. I just think he covers topics that are really important and he does so in a in a, in a very, very raw and, and important way. So I, I agree. Jump- he's one of the few people I'd actually consider to use the title journalist because there's very few left that aren't just hired mouthpieces, you know, yes. like, yeah, like yeah, on yeah. a leash and a muzzle. Exactly. So, and it's, he's, he speaks his mind, whether you agree with him or not, or whether he's a hundred percent right or not, he speaks his mind. And I thought that that would be a great place to, to kick this off. Um, and that threw a giant can of gas on the small fire we had burning. Um, after that, it just, it, it exploded. Um, that night, I remember like my, my phone rang through the night all night. Um, I was getting like message. It, it was just insane. And it was, it was really reassuring because it was, it was like, wow, like we, we knew what we were doing was right. We, we didn't well, what do were the messages? Like, were they all messages of support? Were they Absolutely. more interview 100, requests? 100%, like, I mean, 100%, at least at that time, we, we've, we've certainly gotten some hate for this, but the support has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, I would say like 85, 15, um, you know, you're always going to have some haters, but so, um, you know, we got, we got prepared and, and we went and we did what we said we were going to do. We, we opened up on Monday, May 18th. Uh, we opened, we actually locked ourselves inside the building on Sunday night because Governor Murphy saw the Tucker Carlson show and had a press conference about us and said that it would not be tolerated that we were going to open. Um, and we got, we have a lot of uh, information always coming to us from inside sources. Our, our gym is a, is a police, fire, military, blue collar worker kind of gym. So you have a lot of state employees, nurses, doctors, whatever. So a couple state police uh, officers tipped us off that they were told Monday morning to be in the parking lot and not allow us in the building. So on Sunday night, uh, ourselves and about eight or 10 volunteers chained ourselves inside the building 
uh, slept there and opened the doors Monday morning to Pete Hegseth and Fox News, um, Fox and Friends to an interview on the steps of the gym that morning. We opened the doors. There was a couple hundred people in the parking lot. Uh, our members were wrapped around the side of the building. It was awesome. Everybody was ready to rock and roll. Um, like we opened, we opened the doors to like a cheering crowd. It was, <laughs> it, was crazy. It, it was, it was, it was a moment I will absolutely never forget. Um, because again, we knew, we knew what we were doing was right. And from the beginning, the reason we announced it publicly versus kind of just staying open quietly was because staying open quietly is about survival. And we weren't trying to survive. We were trying to change the fact that government should not be able to tell anybody that they can't earn a living. And that's what was happening. Our, our, our constitutional rights were and still are being trampled on um, by, by governors and, 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 and politicians who use the guise of public health, a public health emergency to grab power. Um, so we knew what we were doing was right. And, and we presented that plan publicly because the idea of government is that government is there to serve the people, at least in America, that's, that's, that's our, you know, our, our philosophy of government. But we've gotten away from that. These elected officials seem to think themselves as rulers and not as public servants, and they act that way. Um, you know, so we presented the plan publicly in hopes that government would reach out to us. You know, we didn't, we didn't open just to be, you know, assholes. Um, we did so because we wanted to present a plan, not only for our business, but for any small business to be able to adapt and operate. You would put it out there publicly in the hopes of you weren't trying to do it quietly. You were actually trying yeah. to make a point. Yeah, there, about there, was, there was all these gyms and businesses that were operating kind of secretively. And, and I get that. I, I get the, the need to, to survive and defeat your family. And I, I don't criticize anybody for that. But our mission was something much bigger. It wasn't about opening the gym. The gym was just a vessel in which we were carrying out our mission. And our mission was to change the course of politics because we truly believe that this was political and we still do to this day. And it, it is, there's, there's no doubt about that. Um, so when we opened the doors, that was the most reassuring feeling in the world is that we had hundreds of people out there supporting us. Uh, every local and national media uh, outlet was there covering it. And most importantly, all of our members were wrapped around the building waiting to come inside. Um, so we opened on Monday um, and I'll speed up the, the timeline a little bit. Monday, we had a great day. Um, around noon, uh, one of the police officers uh, approached us. They were in the lot the whole time. And again, we, we let the local police department know what we were doing. We notified the mayor, we notified everybody. We said, hey, we're gonna open. End of story. Unless there's a plan presented or a government reaches out, we're gonna open on May 18th. And they said, do it. You know, they, they, they said, it is what it is. We're not going to stop you. Um, so the police were present in the parking lot, just kind of making sure that everything was okay. And it was. Um, and at about 12 o'clock, the captain of the police force walked up to us um, and a big crowd gathered. People got a little upset for a second because they thought he was going to do something. And there's this iconic video. You can find it on my Instagram where, you know, I silenced the crowd and I said, let him speak. Um, and he, he says, you know, formally, you are all in violation of an executive order. And he takes a long pause and looks around and says, on that note, have a good day. And he turns and walks away and the crowd just erupts. And it was this moment, <laughs> it was this moment that we, we knew the battle was far from over, but it was, a, it was, it was again, one of those moments where it was like, we are doing the right thing because yeah. 
everybody is behind us. Law enforcement is behind us, you know, and, and the support means a lot from everybody. But when it comes from people who protect their community and serve their country, whether it's domestic or abroad, it means just a little bit more because these people truly understand what we're fighting for. Um, and because they, they do it as well. So uh, about 30 minutes later, Murphy, uh, I guess, got wind of it. Um, and he threatened the entire Belmar Police Department that they were going to be furloughed for 60 days uh, and that the county was going to come in and operate unless they punished us. Uh, so the lieutenant at the time came back and he's, he's not a big fan of ours. He's a, um, he's a, a um, for better, for lack of a better word, he's a bootlicker. He's, he's a guy who wants to get into politics. So he was happy to carry out Murphy's wishes, came and handed us our first of what is now 46 criminal charges. Um, so Frank, Frank and I got summons that day. We continued operations. Tuesday we reopened. Um, their tactics changed a little bit. Murphy said that in the press conference on Monday that it was going to be a different scenario on Tuesday. He started handing out citations to our members in hopes to scare them off and to scare away our support base. We also got citations that day. Tuesday, one of our members got arrested and handcuffed. Uh, on Wednesday, because of the optics of arresting people and handing out citations, they set up a camera in our parking lot and they were pulling members over on their way home once they left out of the eyes of the media. Whoa. Um, and then they stopped handing us our tickets because we would, we would stand in front of the building and receive our summons right in front of the media every time. Um, and I guess, I guess that didn't fare too well for them as far as optics go. Um, so they started mailing us our summons. Uh, we got the camera taken down because it's a private lot. They did not like that. Wednesday, during a press conference, Governor Murphy said that he was going to essentially weaponize the health department against us. And Wednesday night in the middle of the night, uh, somebody from the health department came out and slapped a sticker on our door that said, you are shut down um, via the health department. And it was basically, it basically said, because coronavirus. Uh, no health department official had ever stepped foot inside of our building, nor even contacted us. So they, they shut us down arbitrarily, which is a, 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 a weaponization of a public uh, organization that that's primary um, primary mission is to serve the public and it was serving the will of Governor Murphy. And that's a reoccurring theme that you see through all of this is that he weaponized, he weaponized the police against us. The police are there to protect the community, you know, but they were weaponized against us. The health department was next weaponized against us. Uh, so we said, uh, screw that. We're going to open anyway. We opened again. Uh, and then on Friday, Late in the night, Governor Murphy went to his lapdog of a judge uh, who is a former state attorney general, now judge. Uh, his name is Robert Lugie. He basically signs off on anything that Governor Murphy wants done. Um, and I mean, he's he shut down multiple other other things that the town of Asbury Park in New Jersey was going to reopen their indoor dining together as a town and the town passed an ordinance to allow it to do so. And Governor Murphy blocked that with this same judge. Uh, there was a town uh, called Neptune that was going to host their high school graduation anyway. Again, the town council voted on it, voted it as a yes. Governor Murphy used this same judge. So this guy just, whatever Murphy wants, sure thing, signs off on it. So he signed a court order to have our locks physically changed um, on Friday. So on Friday, in the middle of the night, they came and broke our locks and changed the locks to our private business. Um, it took about three weeks to get those locks off uh, because we have an essential business inside. We have a nutrition store. 
So we got the locks off. The condition was don't operate inside. Uh, you can operate outside. And we agreed to it under one term. And that, that term was uh, that we would get our fair, our fair try in court. Um, because the way that we looked at it was the executive branch of government had failed us. Our governor was abusing his powers. So we were going to give the judicial branch a chance to operate its checks and balances, just like the American political system is supposed to work. Um, that day in court never came. Um, today, to date, the lawsuits against Governor Murphy, the health department, the state police, uh, the attorney general, and um, there's another one out there. I forget who it is. We have not even been heard in court to date. Um, the judge has abstained. He basically said, I don't want to rule on this and I don't have to. Um, the excuse that they used was that we didn't exercise our rights enough, um, which is laughable at best. Um, so we, we were pulling 45,000 pounds worth of equipment and weights, machines, barbells, entire rack and dumbbells outside in the parking lot every day for about three weeks. And on July 4th, my partner and I looked at each other and we said, screw this. Now's the day to get arrested. If they want to come arrest us on, on 4th of July, on Independence Day, then so be it. Um, and we resumed operations inside. Uh, nothing ever happened. We were operating for about four weeks at that point maybe three, about three weeks at that point, And we received a contempt of court charge from Governor Murphy. Uh, of course, we were found in contempt of court um, and they threatened to come change our locks again. So uh, at that point, they, we made a decision to remove the doors from the hinges um, because if there's no doors, you can't change the locks. Right. So, <laughs> My partner, I love all your creativity through this. It's, you know what, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's absurd at the same time. Yeah, that it is. Have, so, I mean, at, at this point, Frank and I slept in the gym and we opened the gym for 24 hours a day, seven days a week because we had no doors. Um, we spent over 30 days camped out inside of our own gym, sleeping on the floor of this office uh, and sleeping in the tanning bed. You know, and it's, and that was our form of protest. You know, we, we, we decided that we were going to be civilly disobedient from the beginning, that it was going to be nonviolent and that we were going to stand our ground no matter what. And we were going to, we were going to stand there and we were going to take our punches um, in front of the whole world. And then, you know, that was the game plan. That was why the media was involved is that we were going to draw them out uh, and, and make, make them answer to the world for what, what their, their actions are. So, we were open for 24 hours a day, um, seven days a week for a little while. And finally they came to arrest us uh, in the early hours of the morning, uh, about five o'clock on a Monday morning. They came, the county sheriffs and the, uh, the prosecutor came in and arrested us. They uh, handcuffed us, took us to the local precinct, charged us with a bunch of more charges and uh, released us. Um, when we got back to the building, it was barricaded with plywood so we took a couple of days off to kind of reassess and we we came to the decision that we were going to knock that barricade down um because quite quite frankly fuck you um you're you're not gonna you're not gonna barricade me from my own business you know and again this was we were told in the beginning of this that 2.2 million people would be dead 
by summer, right? And if, if that was the case, if, if this was what they, they forecasted it to be and what they, they acted like it is and still continue to act like it is in the media, then we would have no problem shutting down. You know, but it wasn't adding up. You know, if you have to, if you have to cushion death numbers um, to, to make something more scary than it is, then I'm not shutting down my business. You know, yeah. so did you hear this week that the CDC quietly updated their numbers to say that, and even those I would question, but that minus all the comorbidities, that there were about 9,200 people that they could say exclusively just had COVID. But again, it's already been factually proven that those tests generate tons of false positives. They're inaccurate. They were never even designed to test for a virus, viral material. Like it's just from start yeah, I mean, to finish, there's the so guy, many issues. You know, we, we said, screw this, this is absolute absurdity. We're not going to let you do this. Um, and a couple of days later, uh, we put our foot through the door. Um, and that video I'm going to include here because that was such an iconic video, watching the two of you just smash through this metaphorical bullshit and blast yeah. through it. And, and we... We got criticism from from people like, oh, you know, you guys are just doing it for a show. And it's like, no, they made a spectacle out of this. So we're going to do it, too. You guys made this political. You guys are the ones. And by, by you guys, I mean the politicians. You guys are the ones creating this circus. So let's let's make a circus out of it. So we called the media. We had photographers and videographers there because we wanted the world to see how stupid this all was. You know, you got two guys who are just trying to feed their families and just trying to stand up for their constitutional rights, rights that are given to us, that are not, excuse me, that are not given to us. They, these are, these are God granted rights. These are, these are our liberty. It, it, they're non-negotiable and the government is trampling on them. And all we're trying to do is stand up for them. And you're making us go through all of this to do so. So we, we wanted it to be as much of an absurd spectacle as it could be. Um, and I think we did a pretty good job with that. So uh, we kicked the door down. We resumed business operations immediately. There was people in the parking lot waiting to work out. Um, and we've been in business ever since. We got hit with another contempt of court charge. This time, Governor Murphy decided to fine us $15,000 per day for being in operation. Uh, he wanted to arrest us again and, and actually imprison us long term. Um, and then they wanted to build a, a steel barricade this time. So um, we collectively, between Frank and I, we have $149,000 in fines each, um, and we are individually responsible for those, not the business. So that's, that's something that will probably follow us for life if we lose this case. Um, not that I'm, I'm planning on losing, but so um, right before they came to arrest us, uh, we, we got in contact uh, with Rick Maida, who is a... Um, a candidate for Senate. He's running on the Republican ticket uh, against Cory Booker. And he said, hey, listen, I want to help. I'm not in office yet, but here's how I think I can help. We're going to make Attila's gym a volunteer and rally location uh, for my campaign. And we said, absolutely, let's do it. Governor Murphy wanted to make this political, and he did. So let's make it political. We declared that th that we were a Republican, um, you know, rally point and volunteer location. And three days later, Governor Murphy announced that the gyms were going to be reopened. Uh, so that's where we're at today. Oh, also, our business license was stripped somewhere in there. 
Uh, Governor Murphy forced the town of Belmar to strip our business license. We were tipped off anonymously uh, via email what the vote was going to be. Um, several days in advance, we were told it was going to be a five to one vote. We were even told who was going to vote for us and who was going to vote against us. And it was 100% right. It was political. Uh, and it's Governor Murphy once again weaponizing public offices against us. It's, it's, it's tyranny. Um, so right now we're operating without a business license. We've been fined for that. Uh, we, we've suspended all commerce. I mean, we haven't taken a dime for any, any memberships since April. Uh, it was never about the money. It was about opening and opening the country up. Um, so now we're a Republican, you know, political rally point and we're still in business. Um, we're working on figuring out all the rest now, but that's where we're at. So not taking money for memberships. What was that? Is that somehow like a technicality that helps you? Like what's, what was the reasoning behind that? Um, well, most of our, most of our members are on auto billing. Um, so because gyms weren't officially open, we didn't want to re reinitiate our auto billing because there were a lot of people who didn't want to come to the gym. You know what I mean? Who, who were genuinely concerned about COVID who, you know, may live with elderly parents or may be immunodeficient themselves. Um, so we didn't, you know, we didn't, um, we didn't charge anybody. We've, we've gone off of donations. That's why we opened the GoFundMe because if people want to help and contribute, you know, um, we did it that way because again, it, it wasn't about making money. It wasn't about surviving, you know, and saving. Yes, it was about that, but our primary focus was on standing up for our constitutional rights. Um, and we knew that people would support us regardless and they have. Um, and so now the reason that we haven't, reopen commerce is because because we can't <laughs> when are the gyms reopening you said he announced that they're reopening. tomorrow tomorrow okay. in new jersey they officially reopen okay so something that really stood out to me with your story is that it's one of what at least i can see very few i remember hearing about a hairdresser you know that got a she, lot of press she was the one who inspired us she was the one who inspired <laughs> shelly right Right. She got and then than any, any man in this entire country. There you go. Well, and then you, and then is there, are there other people or are we just not hearing about them? Because my impression is that there really isn't anyone um, doing this. Hardly so anyone. There isn't enough. Let's put it, let's put it that way. There isn't enough. There are, there are people all around the country who are fighting this battle in one way or another. We just happen to be the ones who got the most media attention um, and who have fought the hardest and I think who have been punished the most. Um, right. And that's partially just because of pure circumstance. We just have a governor who is hell bent on his mission. Uh, and his mission is to drive the economy into the dirt. You know, that's, it couldn't be any more clear. And, and again, I, I, I try to keep politics out of it, but this is, this is about an election and it's, it, it is what it is. And governor Murphy's one of the worst when it comes to that, you know, he's fulfilling his mission. He's listening to the people that, that pull his strings. Um, and we just happen to be in the, one of the worst places for it. You know, Gavin Newsom in California isn't much better. Mm. Uh, Gretchen, whatever her name in Michigan, isn't much better. Yeah. Uh, the Jimenez, the mayor of Miami isn't much better. And it's all these far left leaning Democrats who are doing it. And it's, you, you can't even hide the fact that it's political because they're all the same political ideology. 
doing the same things. They're pushing mask mandates. They're talking about mandatory vaccinations, second wave of shutdowns, you name it. And they're all following the same protocol, you know? So yeah. there are other people fighting. A there are a lot of gyms in California and Arizona and uh, North Carolina who are fighting. Just not not quite the, the fight that we've been in. Um, they're dealing. And what's what's crazy is that we're all... I talk with all these people and they're all just, they're all awesome people. But what sucks is that we're all fighting our own battles because we're fighting in different States and we're fighting, right. the, we're fighting the States and each, each governor or mayor is using different techniques to, to shut businesses down. Like Gavin Newsom's, you know, um, shutting down people's power and, and water, you know, yeah. if they, you know, that, that yeah. didn't happen to us. We were, you know, we were hit with $15,000 a day fines or, you know, the, um, the state of California is having specialized task forces come out to businesses that are still open where they're sending the local police, the state police, the health department, they're sending like one representative from every public office to find something to shut you down with. Right. Um, so they have this like net approach where they're just throwing a yeah. net and trying to catch something so it's there are people fighting there are not nearly enough because the the simple reality is that if tonight every business in the company or country said screw this we are opening it would be over tomorrow that's just, what i've said from the very beginning of this is that all of these people have consented and if all of these people or a huge majority would just step up and start running like that you know what i've really taken in over this time is we've created this right all these it's people right. all of their businesses we have created this entire culture and society that we have right and it's amazing it's amazing when you step back as we've had the opportunity to to actually view it that way these so-called leaders have not right? Like they've done more to interfere with that in many ways. But, you know, why do you think that you're such an anomaly? Because some, one of the things that I look at in my work is, and it's also, I'd say, a comment on the current trend over the past few years of this neutralization of the sexes, right? This concept that, oh, there really aren't male and female. Those, those are just man-made concepts. Like this fucking ludicrousness, right? <laughs> that people try to parrot. Oh no, I just, just, we made this up, right? And I'm so happy to see in you and everything that you guys represent some actual physical masculine brawn. Like there's the ballsiness and the guts of standing up for yourselves, which is a whole thing, right? Because it is, like I said, hardly anybody else on the entire planet is doing that. And then the fact that you guys are these great kind of representations of masculine brawn and this iconic image of you guys kicking in this door, you know, it's more of this archetypal masculine energy that I feel like we're so lacking in the culture today. And it's been villainized. It's been demonized, right? Toxic masculinity. It's like, okay, sure. There are toxic elements of masculine people and there are toxic elements of feminine people, but you know, the idea... Right. But the idea of like strong, masculine, powerful men is a beautiful archetype. And quite honestly, like that's what every woman wants, you know, and people are, oh no, we're better as neutral, you know, like not much of anything. No, those people aren't fucking each other, right? If you have a neutralized <laughs> or a neutered male or female and a neutralized 
you know, those people aren't having sex. There's no chemistry. There's no polarity. There's no magnetism, right? It's the beauty in our opposites that actually yes. creates yes. the magnetism and the attraction. And so, you know, I love that you guys on many levels to me are sending out this message because in this day and age, like who, who is, who are the protectors of the realm, right? That's historically what men have been. They're bigger, they're stronger. They're the ones sent out to protect against injustice or against tyranny, against freedoms being taken away. And you guys, to me, are this incredible, like I said, representation of that, that really where the fuck else is it? You know, it's not there. Um, you know, it's so again, through this, I, I've, I've met a lot of really, really awesome people um, from from all walks of life. But I, I have connected with some very strong men. Um, and, and you're you're 100 percent right about all that. Um, it's been it's been in the works for a long time. I think I think like the last true great generation was like my grandfather's generation, you know, um, and it, it started to get diluted. And and you see this this play that is this sedation of masculinity, um, and you see it everywhere in society. Um, you know, I, I I get it all the time. I got I got a lot of people who don't like me, you know, and, it, and it's funny. It's like. I'm just who I am, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be anybody. I'm just, I'm being me. And, I, and you hear people with these absurd criticisms, you know, about how, you know, how masculinity is toxic. And then when you, when you, when you start to, to ask them why, they can't give you a good answer. You know, it's like, oh, because men rape. And it's like, okay, but not all men rape, you know, like, so what does that mean? And it's like, oh, well, men are violent. Okay, well, you know, that's, that's life. You know, look, look anywhere else in the animal kingdom and you will see violence. You know, does that mean you, you have violence just for violence's sake? No, but, you know, there's characteristics of a male that are natural and inherent and there is nothing that you can do to change that but they're they're oh, trying unless you a feminine yeah unless you try to change it yeah <laughs> there, there's this really hard push to make men soft and weak and i i think that it's part of a bigger play to control society as a whole like you said who are you know who are the people guarding the gates you know there was once a time where young boys were taught uh, history and taught about great generals and kings and, and stuff like that. And, and it's, while there are elements of that where there's victims and stuff like that, you know, it's, you, you were taught about the, the noble acts of men, of, of virtuous men who went to war and defended the, the, their, their countries and their, their towns and, and de defended their women and their children and violence was one of their capacities, you know, and it was it was the capacity that for violence and the understanding of violence that made men, you know what I mean? And it's you see it, you see it today where men, a lot of men don't understand violence. Um, and these are the, the same men committing violence. These are the same idiots out on the street looting and rioting. You know, uh, and they don't they don't understand violence because men who understand violent violence aren't violent just for the sake of it. They understand that it's a tool to be used when needed. 
you know what I mean? When, when, when you need to defend yourself. Yes. Um, yes. And that, and that goes for all these other characteristics. Violence is not the only one, you know? Um, but there's this watering down and it starts in elementary school, you know, and it's, it, it's, and it's everywhere. It's in our colleges, it's in the entertainment industry, it's in the media, it's in our music um, where you're touting, you know, you hear, you know, current, like current music this, these days is most of it's garbage and stuff that's just played over and over and over again on the radio, whether it's rap or rock or whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, you have this, this praise of all these really crappy qualities of men. Um, and it's, it's damaging. It, it, it gets deep inside the, the, the hearts and the minds, especially of young men where they don't know how to do anything for themselves anymore. You know, everything is, um, the, the sense of entitlement is, is incredible. Everybody, everybody's got their hands out, you know, and just because you were born doesn't mean you get free everything. It doesn't mean that like life's not supposed to be easy. You know what I mean? We, but we've got this, we've got this new sort of perception on the world that, you know, everything's supposed to be taken care of by the government. Um, and, and, you know, uncle Sam will take care of you in this, you know, you just, you just be a good boy and you listen, you know what I mean? And, and don't be too much of a man because, you know, men are bad and men rape, you know, and it's like, that's, that's not men, you know, true men are the type of men that are written about in the, you know, the, the classic pieces of literature. Um, and you're not even taught that stuff anymore. It's, and it's scary because I think, and the conversations I've had with a lot of these really strong men, and one of them, he, he's become a mentor of mine, is Andy Frisella. Um, he owns First Form. He's a, you know, he, and he's, he's helped me out through a lot of this. And we have really long conversations about the state of the, of the country and the state of the world. And I truly believe that most of the issues that we face today is because men are absent. It's because not enough men stand up and say, absolutely not. These men are the same men who put on a mask because it's, it's more convenient for them to put on the mask and comply than it is for them to say, you know what, let's talk about this. I don't want to do this. Um, and they're the same men that, that stay at home and get their $600 you know, a week uh, check just to, you know, to be a good boy and, and, and not infect anybody with COVID and nobody's questioning anything, you know, nobody's saying, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, you know, let's, let's figure this out. You know what I mean? Because it, it, it's, 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 it's looked at as dissent. If you, if you, if you even have any question about anything, it's like, oh, well, you're just being a troublemaker. No, I just got some questions about some things. And right. there's, there's and, yeah. absence of being able to think for yourself uh, and the courage to, to stand up and, and say, I'm not doing this. And that's all, that's all it takes because if one person stands, it gives others the courage to stand behind him. And as they stand, the next one stands and the next one stands and the next one stands. But it, it, it takes more than just one. You know, and it, it's got to be collective. It's got to be people saying, no, we're not doing this. But it, it starts with men. It starts with men because that's that's not a woman's place. Uh, and I, I don't I don't say that as like women have their place and they're not allowed to do anything. But women 
are inherently nurturers. You know, they they are the ones who protect the home and 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 keep and and provide the the backbone for strong men to stand. You know, but we don't we don't have that. We have we have women being women, but we have men being told that it's not okay to be a man, and that's. I think that's the, probably the fundamental issue with most of our problems in society today is that men have forgotten how to be men. Yeah, I think this has been going on for decades, right? Like I use the example of the um, uh, the four-year liberal arts political call, you know, PC college mentality, right? Of like being a feminist as a man, and like absolutely, I think we all agree that we want equal rights and women are not second-class citizens in any sense of the word but there is this difference between you know women and men and women i mean even from the physical perspective right what men as the they have brawn and size and even you look in the animal kingdom like the male of the species is always the protector they're the territory defender they're going out and fighting those battles to protect the woman and the children you know and that's their job and i do think that that's been so demonized out of men where they're afraid to occupy that energy right they they're getting know, instead they don't even know how anymore yeah yeah and i think that you know it's no surprise or coincidence the fact that you guys run a gym you're in your bodies you're building testosterone and dopamine and all of these incredible neurotransmitters and hormones in the body that support masculinity, right? Like in an, in a time when we're actually, we are faced with a chemical onslaught of um, xenoestrogens, right? Like in our food, in water, in medications, in household products, it's everywhere, right? So you actually have to take, make a concerted effort to remove that from your environment, because if you did nothing, you would be still exposed to a high degree. And then adding on top of that, I think for men, physical activity is such an important outlet, right? Like having that place to really feel and experience your masculine power in your body, right? Even for women, I mean, I work out, I lift weights, like it's been essential for me for the last 30 years. But I think even more so for men to feel the power they truly have within themselves. Yeah, the, the, by, by exercising in the physical, you, you are in fact exercising the mental too. You know, I, I got into working out, you know, I, I grew up without a father. You know, my, my father just, just wasn't a good dad. You know, he was, he was interested in other things. I was raised by strong women. I was raised by my mother. I was raised by my grandmother, um, my aunts, um, my, my friends' moms in the neighborhood. They were all very strong, beautiful, nurturing women. But at the end of the day, none of those women could teach me how to be a man. Um, they could teach me how to be a good person, um, and they could kind of give me some hints. But uh, And, and that's, that's a whole other thing. You know, is you, you have you have the division of the nuclear family uh, where divorce is just super common and, you know, fathers are, are absent more than mothers. And I think I think that's uh, just throw that in the pile of all the other things that's causing men to be weak. Um, but I didn't learn how to be a man until I went to prison. You know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with my story, but I did six years in prison. Um, and I did so because when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, I was an asshole. 
I was reckless. I was selfish. Uh, I was a hard partier. You know, I was uh, a womanizer. You name it. I was just just a shitty shitty kid. Um, and when I was coming home from college one morning, I got in a uh, a very 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 bad car accident in which another individual lost their life. Um, and I was sentenced to six years in prison as a result of that. And and before that, I didn't know what a man was. You know, I. You know, other, other than having male parts, there was nothing about me that was inherently masculine. Um, you know, I, I didn't have courage. I didn't have strength. I didn't have conviction. Um, none of those things. I was, I was. You learned that in prison? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I got into fitness in prison because when I went to prison, when anybody goes to prison, they strip everything from you. You know, they strip your clothing, your your name, your your number. Um, they tell you when you can eat, when you can sleep, when you can shit, when you can shower. You know everything. Um, they take away your ability to communicate with the outside world. Um, everything, how to spend your free time. But the one thing that they could not take from me was no matter what was going on in the prison, whether we were in lockdown, whether it was riots, whether the you know, the SWAT teams coming in, whether it was just a regular day, uh, whether <laughs> I was in confinement, um, I could get down and I could be physical and I could work and I could put in my dues that day and I could build something tangible. And that became, that became my anchor in the, in the stormy seas of those six years. You know, that kept me grounded and it kept me connected to something real. Um, and when I went away, you know, the, the, the way that I, I was able to accept what I had done was that I made a promise to myself that that was not going to be the last chapter of my, of my book, you know, that, that it wasn't going to be, oh, you know, Ian went off to prison after, you know, after college and nobody ever heard from him again. He just wound up being some low life. I was determined to not only make myself a better person, but make myself a good enough person that I could give back to the world. I could, I could push some good out because up until that point, I hadn't really done that. You know what I mean? I was just, I was a kid who was just interested in his own selfish means, you know, where was the next party? Who was the next girl? You know, whatever. Um, so I made that promise to myself and I, and in that process, I learned how to be a man. I learned how I learned about things like accountability, like dedication, like having courage, like having physical strength, like having uh, mental fortitude, like being spiritually connected to something, um, to understanding what virtues are and what virtues I should have and what virtues that I felt were important and how to develop. What are those? When you talk about virtue, what does that mean to you? Um, you know, there's, there's a whole selection, you know, obviously, but things that, that, that are important to me, I think above all is grit and, and call that what, whatever else you want to call it, mental fortitude. Um, I think that's the biggest thing because life, no matter what, at some point it's going to knock you down. It's going to get hard. Some people have it easier than others. Um, you know, but life, life is not easy. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. You know, that's just not the way the world works. Bad stuff is going to happen. Difficult times are going to come. Challenges are going to be thrown in your way. You're going to get hit. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to get beat up. You're going to get the wind knocked out of you at some point. But that that can't stop you. When things get challenging, you need to be able to push through that. So I think grit is above all probably in, in, in my structure of virtue. I think that's pretty high up there.
Um, courage is another one. I think, I think that in order to live a good life that you have to be courageous because like I said, bad stuff will happen and bad things happen and it's not always happening to you or it's, you know, whatever, but you need to have the ability to stand up against these things and not be afraid of them, no matter what the, the, the threat is, you know, and, and the threat of, of all this was, hey, we wind up going to prison for all this, you know, and that was a place that I don't, I don't ever want to go back to prison. Prison sucks. <laughs> it's not fun. It's a waste of time. It's really boring. Um, you know, it's, it's not something I wanted to do again, but during all this, that, that, that was a looming threat in all this. And it still is, um, you know, having the courage to say, all right, go ahead, go ahead and find me $150,000. Go ahead. Cause I'm not afraid of you. Um, so that's courage is a big one. Um, and I think, I think openness is, is another one being, being open to the world around you, be that other people, be that other ideas, cultures, um, new information. I think it's important, especially for a man to be open to the world and not be closed minded and to not think that they know everything. You know, it's, it's important to always be learning. And that's something that, uh, I was taught in there, um, that you don't know everything and you will never know anything and that you should listen to everybody because even a fool can teach you something. Um, so if I, if I had a top three, that's what it would be. I love it. Those are beautiful. I'd say those are probably my top three as well. So a slight divergence from that, how would you say that that shows up, you know, this version of your masculinity and strength in relationship to a woman? Like, how do you see your role as a man and what you offer or provide energetically to a female partner? Um, I think that I personally, I think I fall into that more traditional um, archetype you know, of the, uh, of the, the burly man. That's like, I'm, I'm, I'm a very simple guy. I drive a truck with 300,000 miles on it. I have like three pairs of jeans and maybe tw 20 t-shirts. Um, I'm not fancy. I don't, I don't want a lot of things. I don't, I don't have any jewelry. I don't wear necklaces. I don't, I don't do any of that. I like, I like hard work. Um, I, I love to work. I love to work because it's, it's me building something. It's, it's building some kind of type of legacy to leave to the world because when you're gone, that's all you have is your legacy. Um, so I, I, I love, I love hard work. I don't, you know, I, I so I, I guess I fall into that, that, that typical archetype, that, that hardworking man, you know, I come home at the end of every day. I, I work no less than 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and I've done that for five, six years now. Um, and I love, I love every moment of it. Um, and I'm, I'm simple, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a very, very simple guy just in general. And I think that, um, I think that I just, I, I personally provide that, that kind of traditional archetype, you know, the, the strong, I'm quiet. I don't have a lot to say, you know, unless, you know, I, I don't, I don't like, I'm not a big fan of small talk. Um, you know, so I, I just, I keep to myself and I, I protect what's mine and I protect the people that love me and the people that I love. Um, and I just, I, I just want to spread some good in the world. You know, I, I want to, I want to be a role model to other men, be that, um, you know, young men around me, be that young men who, who 
don't have, you know, some sort of figure um, like I didn't, you know, I didn't, I had, I had to figure out most of this on my own. Um, you know, so when I do have children, I want to, I want to be that kind of that father that kids remember, you know, and it, I think that a lot of times, especially today, um, speaking from experience too, a lot of, a lot of children, be it, um, women or men, you know, or, or, or girls or boys, they don't, they don't have that strong connection with their fathers. Um, because either they're absent or they're, they're just not enough of a man, um, you know, because they've been, they've been gender neutralized, um, you know, where mom is no different than dad, you know, and it's, you see it, you see it in the way that like men are portrayed on like television and in commercials, like men are portrayed as these like dopey, like (laughs) for themselves, like beer belly football watching. Dad bod scratching like doofuses and that's like i don't know that that'll never be me um so i i guess it i guess it's traditional you know traditional in the sense that yeah. it's something of the past you don't <laughs> you don't see it a lot these days i think yeah. i think you are starting to see a sort of reemergence of it you know i i always believe that the, the pendulum is always kind of swinging mm. and I, th- I think that it has swung so far that you're starting to see it come back um certainly not enough and, and it needs to continue to swing in that other direction um but i, think I would it, even venture well yeah. that a lot of that's what what's been able to happen over the last number of months is because of this lack of the more archetypal masculine man right mm-hmm. it's more of the sit down and take it bend over and take it kind of guy who's not going to stand up for himself not going to ruffle the waters you know yeah and it, it's this it, <laughs> It's just like the corporate man, I call it. Like the, 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 the guy who goes and gets manicures, you know, and, and, and doesn't have calluses on his hands. And, you know, no, no offense to anybody who works in the corporate world. Not, I'm, I'm not generalizing like that, but the, the soft man, the man who's never done a day of hard work in his life. Mm. You know, it's, that's, that's not what men are supposed to do. I think there's a real big correlation with the physicality, like we said, the expression of physicality and masculine energy, but also having a vocation. Like I think having found an outlet for your energy, your creativity, your drive, your power, you know, like you said, your partner and yourself didn't like to be idle. Even at the very beginning of this, you were in the gym doing things, right? Like there's something vital for men in terms of channeling that energy productively into something that's building and there's a you know brilliant metaphor with say bodybuilding right? <laughs> like because you know often when people are like oh there's this whole movement about like i don't know don't exercise or we don't want to glorify exercise it's like it's so you can see how these things get hijacked all the time right like when mcdonald's starts to sponsor body acceptance talks at south by southwest you have to kind of wonder right who's really behind these things yeah and that's a little Right. Yeah. And so, but there's to me, like having been a a weight trainer for the last 30, no, yeah, 30 years is, you know, the character and the strength and the self-discipline that it takes to get yourself to the gym, to go for a run every day, to go and, and, you know, push yourself further today than you did yesterday. It's enormous and it's character building. 
right? Because you start to realize like the power and responsibility lies within you and the results, like the beautiful, tangible, you know, you do a hard workout and you can see a slightly bigger bicep two days later, you know, Mm -hmm. it's amazing that we have this power. So let's end on what suggestions would you have for men who maybe identify that they're not where they could be or, you know, like we were saying, maybe don't even know how to get there. Like what would you suggest or some things they could do to help bring out more of their true archetypal masculine? So uh, one thing that myself and, and a few of our of my friends have talked about it is, and this is something that we're looking to develop actually over the next couple months. Um, one thing that, that used to be present that's not is men's groups, right? Mm-hmm. So once upon a time, 50 years ago, whatever, you had like men's societies and men's clubs in all, in all different forms, you know, they, you had different ones, but they were, whether it was cigar lounges or, um, you know, whatever. Um, these were places that men could go to associate and be with other men and talk, you know, family and love and relationships and fatherhood and uh, politics and finance and business. And there was a place where men could come to lean in on other men and to grow together and they could help each other. And then all of a sudden that became like, oh, that's exclusionary. That's, you know, you got, you got, you you had this second, second and third wave of feminism after, you know, the first wave of feminism I fully support, you know, I, I think that everybody should have equal rights, no matter what. Um, but then you had these, these other waves of feminism come in where, where you started to start to get this idea of like the, the patriarchal oppressive man. And it's like, nah, you know, maybe back then, yeah, maybe there were a couple of assholes back then who made some laws and, and, you know, but that's not us today. You know, you can't, you can't blame the man today for, the guy back in 1900 who, you know, thought his wife wasn't allowed to leave the house, you know, to do anything like that's So you, you had this hijacking of, of the feminist movement in the second and, and third waves where everything about men was demonized and these social groups became a target of that. And I think that that's something that you need to see a lot more of these days because men don't lean on each other. Like we we're, we're, we're all isolated. Um, where Yes, we have like one or two friends, but like you don't you don't talk about your emotions with each other and and, and maybe you do, you know, but it's it's it used to be where men could come together and congregate and be men. You know, what I mean, they could they could talk freely amongst each other without like, oh, what if we you know, what if we offend somebody? You know, I don't, I don't want to say the wrong thing in public. You know, I don't want to be deemed. A I'm going to call you out. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I think that there needs to be a lot more of that. I think need, men need to find ways to congregate and, um, you know, beyond going to the bar and watching football like that. I don't think that that's helpful. You know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of watching sports. I think it's I think it's very idle. I'd rather go. Yeah, me too. Yeah, who watches on. these things? Go play. I'd go play sports. Yeah. You know, then sit there and watch football. Yeah. Like I'll check the score or whatever, you know, cool. And I'll, I'll go to a game once in a while, but I don't want to sit on the couch all Sunday or sit at the bar all Sunday and watch three games of football. You know, I'd rather spend some time talking to my male friends, uh, knocking them down and, and, you know, whatever, and being physical and being a man, 
men need to start being men again, but it, it, they can't do it alone. They have to come together to do it. So whether that be something physical that you and your friends or, or you join a group, you know, these things need to start making a, a reemergence. Um, and they're starting to, they're starting to, but my advice would be is to seek these things out. You know, if you're a man and you're feeling discontent and you're feeling like you're not what you should be, you know, or you're, or you're looking at other strong men and saying like, man, I wish I could be that. I, you know, seek these people out. There are people who, who will mentor you. There are men that will guide you. Um, there are men that will bring you into their circles and, and, and teach you, you know, and I'm, I, I, I can testify to that because I've, I've been fortunate, you know, in my adult years to find good men who helped me become a better man, you know, cause I, I don't think I could have done it on my own. Um, so I, I think that, that be it something physical, whether you go to the gym, uh, and, or you join a boxing gym or you join a football league or go play rugby, <laughs> you want to, you, you want to congregate with some guys, you want to get reconnected with your masculinity, go join your local rugby team. I promise you six months of that, you'll be an entirely different person. You'll be more. Confident. Why rugby in particular? Rugby is just an awesome sport. It's it. I mean, it's. It is violent. It is dirty. It is just, but at the end of the day, I mean, I used to play rugby and we would line up against this other team and we would beat the living hell out of each other. Teeth would be flying. Bones would be broken. <laughs> um, eyes would be gouged. Um, but at the end of the day, we all walked off that field just a little bit more in touch with that natural masculinity. And we would all go get hammered afterwards and we would drink and laugh together with the same guys that we were just, you know, knocking the, the, the life out of. And it's, it's a way to get in touch with that, with that, that, that lower level. If, if you want to be a man of primal, primal. Yes. If you want to be a man of yeah. high ideals, you have to start here. You have to start at that primal level. And I think it truly does start in the physical in order to get to that, that high ideal and be a spiritual man and a, a, a man of strong virtues and an intellectual, um, somebody who can, who can guide children and, and be a protector and all these things, because that's all up here. But it starts right here on the bottom. It starts with that primal base, pure, rugged masculinity. So get your hands dirty, go play some rugby, go do jujitsu, whatever, you know, at the, at the gym here, you know, we got a group of younger kids that, and I say, I say their kids are all in their twenties. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the oldest of them. There's, there's a couple other guys, you know, we all lift weights, but we have an open area and every day there's one, two, three, sometimes 10 of us up there. We throw the gloves on, we throw the headgear on, we wrestle, we fight, we roll around, you know, and, it, it helps us connect. It helps us connect to that, that primal base masculinity. And from there you can build, you can build and build and build and build upon that. But without that bottom structure of just unfiltered physical masculinity, you can't build anything beyond that. It's a bit like the idea of facing your dark side or your demons, like not that it's dark, this thing, but it's kind of like a shadow element in a way of masculine energy, especially it's, in modern yeah, culture. Yeah. Whatever the dark one is. I don't, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, it's you're shadow. diving in, you're diving right into it and embracing it instead of being afraid of it. Right. Which is kind of what men are being conditioned to be afraid of that part of themselves. Oh, it's a dark, dangerous place in myself. I can't go there, but yeah, I love what you're saying. Yeah. What's that? 
like, oh, I'm toxic if I do those things. And so, no, yeah. you're a man. If yeah. you can be toxic. So, and, and I had this conversation with um, uh, another group of women I was interviewed with. Um, and we were talking about toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity is when you use the advantages you have as a man, namely your physical strength, to harm others. That's toxic. You know, having the capacity for violence and having strength and having aggression is a good thing. Using it to be an asshole is not. So don't be afraid of those things. You know, embrace those things. Embrace the fact, you know, that you are physically designed to be a warrior. Um, you know, embrace that. Nurture that. Build that. And at the same time, build your mind. You know, be a man of high ideals. And then you're not toxic because you're not going around bullying people, being an asshole. You know, you're, 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 then, you're then able to be a protector because you, you fostered and, and allowed those things to grow, that dark element. Because sometimes you do need that dark element. Because if there's a threat present and you don't know how to fight, you know, somebody breaks into your house or whatever, or you're with your wife and your kids and, you know, somebody, somebody threatens you and, and, and you just, oh, no, please, I don't, I, we don't like confrontation. That's toxic. <laughs> no, you should be able to knock somebody out if they step to you and if they, if they threaten the things that you love. You know, that's not toxic. That That is what fundamentally men are designed for, protectors, like we talked about. So embrace those things, and but embrace them with a good heart. Don't embrace them for, for personal gain because it's not about you. It's about 